On this episode of the Parent-Teacher Conference, we're going to be talking about Are your digital assignments getting lost in the black hole of a digital folder? Can I suggest a solution? FanSchool. FanSchool is a safe and social learning network where students own and share their learning. Think of FanSchool as a digital bulletin board for your students' work. Take a look. Go to fan.school today. That is fan.school and imagine what your classroom space will look like on FanSchool. Welcome to your parent-teacher conference, where a 24-7 parent and full-time teacher discusses issues and concerns from both points of view in an attempt to bridge the gap for the sake of kids. So relax, Grab a coffee or other comfort drink, and let's talk about it. Hello, and welcome to your parent-teacher conference. This is Coach Cullen, your host, and today we're going to be talking about some coaching things. I know some of you are, if you're a teacher, you probably have a side gig coaching one of your school's teams, or even if you're a parent, Perhaps you coach youth sports. So I hope that this podcast episode you find interesting and useful. And if you do, please feel free to share it out to friends, retweet it, share it out on Facebook. I'd really appreciate that. If any comments, questions, or concerns, please feel free to reach out to me at ptcpodcast411 at gmail.com. That's Parent Teacher Conference, PTC Podcast, all one word. PTC podcast 411 at gmail.com. Well, one of the reasons I am doing this episode, actually there's two reasons. One is that I had the pleasure of watching the middle school where I teach win a county championship last weekend. And of course, this weekend, the tomorrow, from where, when I'm creating this podcast, is the Super Bowl. So, and talking about the Super Bowl very briefly, I know a lot, a lot of viewers are going to be wanting to see the shootout between Patrick Mahomes and Jalen Hurt. I mean, these two are great quarterbacks, and they can do amazing things, throwing the ball, running with the ball, great decision makers. And if you, in terms of if you were wondering who I want to win the game, I, I really I, I don't have a horse in the race. I'm a Giants fan, New York Giants fan, and I'm glad they got into the playoffs this year. An amazing year. Their head coach, Brian Dayball, definitely deserved the NFL Coach of the Year for what he did with that team. It's been down for so long since their last Super Bowl win. Well, let's get back to this year's Super Bowl. I, I know I have a loyal listener in Florida who will be wearing the green and white tomorrow, cheering on his Philadelphia Eagles. So maybe for his sake and also one of my admins, huge Eagles fan, um, so the only the only thing with my admin though is that if the Eagles win, he'll be taking victory laps around our school with his Eagle paraphernalia on. So, but you know it's kind of tough for a Giants fan to root for the Philadelphia Eagles. There's that fierce rivalry for years. So, but anyway, but 
it's interesting that if you look back at the history of Super Bowl champions, they, they always say that although we would love to see the two quarterbacks to, tomorrow go nuts and put up like 40 or 50 points, that offense wins divisions, but defense wins championships. And the NFL really proved that over the years. I mean, you think of the 70s, what made the Steelers a four-time Super Bowl champion? It was their unbelievable defense. They had a solid offense. Of course, you need, you need to score, but it was their defense that did it. Think of the 49ers of Joe Montana, Roger Craig, Jerry Rice. Now, we think of the offensive side, but other than the first Super Bowl they were in, which really was a game going away. They had a strong, I think they were up by 20 at halftime, and the game got close at the end. But every other Super Bowl, I think the, they held Dan Marino's Dolphins to 16 points. They held the Bengals the second time to 16 points, and they humiliated the Broncos and John Elway, only holding them to 10 points. I, the defense was was stronger than, you know, they were not given a lot of credit. And, of course, and you, you always think back to the Miami Dolphins, their perfect season in the 70s, right? The no-name defense. Offense sells tickets, but defense wins championships. And that's just it. And that's what I saw on display with our coach, who was a great basketball mind, leading his team to a middle school title last Saturday. It, it wasn't, they could, they could score. They had, they had one kid who was in the top 10 of scorers for the whole tournament. They were, what they do is they bring all the teams in our county can apply to be in the tournament. They have four divisions. Four, um, group four is the largest schools. We're group three. And then you have group two, group one. So of all the schools that were entered, it's probably about 40, we had a kid in the top 10 of scorers. But the final score, I think they only scored like 48 points. They didn't have to score. Their defense was suffocating. They had a lead going, they had a lead about two minutes into the third period. It was 31 to 9. It uh, there was a point in the second quarter where the team they were playing passed the ball around for almost a minute and a half looking for a shot. They could not get they could not put the ball down at the post. None of their outside shooters had a good look. It was crazy. And of course, some people would watch that and say, that's it's boring. Bo-. But if you watch the defense and how well they're playing, and if you can get your, your athletes to buy into defense, it's just as good of offense. You know, you know if you're Looking at it from an athletic coaching perspective, that minute and a half, what you're saying to yourself is, hey, our team has right now a 10-point lead and 90 seconds. How many possessions did you just click off there? Right? Probably like three possessions gone where they could have scored points. But I think it's hard to get kids to buy in the defense. And you have to. You know, I, I coached for the last, last year. I think I talked about this in the podcast. I coached volleyball, rec volleyball, for the first time. My daughter has really caught in the volleyball bug. And now she we send her out to other people who know what they're doing and help her. And she made the freshman team. But I realized quickly it's that 
you know, I've always had this defensive mindset when I coach soccer and baseball. I'll get to that in a second. If you can have your kids buy into the defensive aspect, they're going to do well. They're always going to be in the game, even if they don't have a great team. So even in volleyball, I realized for these little middle school kids, you know, I had one girl, she was really big, and she was like, um, hey, coach, when do we learn how to spike? And and trust me, I, I know she's doing it now because she's, her and my daughter go to lessons together, and I'm sure they taught her how to spike because she is a tall girl. But that's not what we needed. There are really two things in really young volleyball they need to do. Serve the ball over the net. And I don't mean like crushing serves that nobody can return. Just get the ball over and then play defense. Be able to take a return and put it back over. At that level, if you can do that, you're going to be in every game. Yeah, there's going to be kids who can spike in. They're going to be great. But most kids aren't. They're still learning the game. And you need to teach the defense to be able to... Because one day, yeah, the other kids are going to be able to spike the ball. And it will be better if your kids are used to being defenders and not be afraid of it. And they know what they're going to do when that ball comes over, no matter how hard it's hit, than if all you do is practice hard serves, and spiking. I can honestly tell you on the soccer field, my best teams, I've won several county tournaments, my best teams were defensive. Now, it doesn't mean we didn't have a score. I had one kid, he scored, ready? I'm going to tell you how many he scored. He was unbelievable. 27 goals in 14 games. He had seven hat tricks on the season, including in the championship game. But even he would tell you, we only played, he was the only forward. Our defense was suffocating. Another championship team had a great goalie, and him and he in the defense, he had seven shutouts in a 15-game season. And it wasn't just because I had a great goalie, I had a, and he'll say it too, great defenders. The, the ability to stop an attack and go on the counterattack when they're all out of position because they're all helter-skelter, because most kids want to score, want to score, want to score, leads to scoring opportunities that allow that kid to get seven hat tricks. And kids don't want to buy into defense. They hate playing defense. They want to score, especially in soccer. But you have to get them out of that mindset because in soccer, you don't score a lot anyhow. And you have to get them to buy into the team concept. And you start with defense. You know, I remember one year... One of my favorite teams of all time was one of my worst teams of all time. We just didn't have a lot of talent that year. And one thing I do is I try not to take a lot of defenders. I want to take the best kids on the tryout. I try to think of who are going to, who are going to be able to be big enough, strong enough, skilled enough to stop attacks. And then I may only have like two, four to Three or four guys, I might only have two subs, and that's it. Because I want them to be able to communicate, know the strengths and weaknesses of everybody on the defense. That's how important the defense is to me. So one year, horrible team. I think we let up like eight goals the first game, six goals the second. And it didn't even matter if we could score a goal. We had some scorers, but it didn't matter because we're going to you know, we're gonna lose the game six to three. I worked... The whole season, all we did at practice was defense. 
deep, you know, defensive drills. I would have my defenders line up and I would have two lines of offensive players come at them. Just keep going. And once they stopped or the goal ball went in, another line came down. And they had to communicate. They had to talk. That was practice. And you know what happened? All of a sudden, the scores... I remember losing 2 nothing. The first time we lost 2 nothing. And I'm looking at the kids saying, you played great today. Think about where we were. And they were buying into it. And we, we were the last team. We, I think we won. We did wind up winning a game, like 2-1. to one. And we, were, we, we went to the county tournament as the last seed playing number one. We lost the game 2-1. to one. We had the coach, who I know, um, he used to be a sub at our school now. He is a gym teacher and a coach. He, I remember giving him fits the last 10 minutes. We pulled the goalie. We pushed everybody up. Um, called sweeper keeper. We just had like a one defender back at midfield, and all every other player was on the offensive side of the field. And we were just, we just could not get that ball in the net to tie it up. And you sit there going, you know. Wow, this you know this is what I mean by if you play great defense, you're in every game. You had a chance to win that game. You put a scare in the number one seed. You know, and that's always a great thing as a coach. You know, your best teams aren't usually aren't always the ones that win the championships. I mean, trust me, my championship teams are very special to me. But you have those teams that you see this unbelievable improvement, and sometimes that's the best you can wish for. You you look at the talent that you have. And you say to yourself, I, I, I know what it takes to win in this county, and we don't have it this year. You, say that, you, don't say that to the te- you don't say that to your players, but you say it to yourself. And you have to get them to buy in to the idea that, but if we can improve every game, we can get better. We can look back like that team did and say, hey, we were losing games by over five goals at the beginning of the year. We took number one down to the last seconds. That's an amazing thing. That's 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 just as a, as a successful story than a championship team. In baseball, which is really my sport, that's the sport I played through college, that's a sport I know well, I emphasized defense. Most of my practices were the outfielders hit the ball to the infielders for 10 minutes. Ground balls, ground balls, feel the ground ball well. Do it right. Then outfield did some drills, defense did bunt drills, um, double play drills, and then we just did simulation. And it wasn't batting. What I do is just put players out in the field. The players who weren't in the field were runners. So they got, I told the runners, you got to take this for real. You have to think to yourself, you're going to be on the base paths with some of these situations what are you going to do? you got to make the right choices. And in the defense, just play defense. You know, we went through outs, we went through innings. They had to know, you know, I always tell my guys on the baseball team, what you have, you have to know what you're going to do with the ball 
before it's going to be hit to you. You have to kind of say to your head, if the ball's hit to my left, I'm going to do this. Ball's hit to my right. You know, what's the situation? Actually, start off with how many outs? Who's on base? Is this, could this be a bunt situation, especially if you're an infielder? Ball's hit to my left. What do I do? Hit to my right. Hit behind me. Hit in front of me. Talk about that. There's a great video, if you can find it. 1975 World Series, one of the greatest World Series of all time between the Red Sox and the Reds. Game 6, considered one of the greatest game World Series games of all time. And there is a play in Game 6 that Dwight Evans makes. Dwight Evans is the right fielder of Boston Red Sox. He has Ken Griffey Sr., not Jr., on first base, and Joe Morgan, the dangerous hitter, MVP of the league that year, and will be again the following year at the plate. Lefty hitter, he knows a good shot, the ball is going to be hit at him. And in the interview of this catch that he makes, and the catch that he makes is he he is falling into the stands and robs Morgan of a home run. He talks about in the interview what was going through his head before the pitch. He talks about, hey, the ball's hit into the gap, i got to cut it off, I have to dive, I have to stop it from getting to the wall because I don't want Griffey scoring. The ball's hit hard in front of me, I have a good shot of throwing Griffey out of third. He's going through all the things in his head, and I think that's something we need to teach to our young kids. A very good youth athlete already knows that it's athleticism and head. You have to be thinking all the time. But I think a lot of youth athletes only do the athletic part. We, we understand that as we get older, right? Because as we get older, our athletic skills start diminishing, and we have to rely more on being a thinking guy and gal, right? So you have to think through more than rely on your athleticism. And good defense is knowing before something happens what you're going to do. In any sport, you should be teaching your athletes, hey, you know what? If you want to practice a little bit, go through scenarios in your head. Start thinking to yourself, what am I going to do in this situation? So that way you're ready for it when it happens. You know, Dwight Evans makes that catch because he was ready. And it helped keep the game tied for Carlton Fist to do that famous hand-waving thing and extra innings to win the game for the Red Sox. Baseball, I coached for about 25 years, both at the varsity level and middle school level. My last four seasons, I made the championship game every year. The first year, we won it. The next two, we lost. We lost like in the last inning. Close games, heartbreakers. And now the fourth year. I have this team in front of me. Now the previous three three years, I always had a good group of seventh graders becoming eighth graders. So I, like almost half the team that first championship year, about half of them were seventh graders. So in the next year, I knew what I was getting. And I had a good group of seventh graders with them. So I continued to know what I had the third year. Now, that third year, I only had two seventh graders. So in the fourth year, I hope you're following this, I only have two returning players in that fourth year. The rest were, didn't make the team the year before because it was just a solid team. I didn't know what I was going to have. Now, I knew a lot of them had played travel ball. A lot of them played travel ball together. Many of them had personalized batting instruction. So, one thing I did know, I did not have the power hitters that I had the previous three three years. I mean, the previous three years, my leader in home runs had multiple home runs. We didn't hit a single home run that fourth year. 
I had to rely, even myself as a coach, I had to rely on some, you know, more a lot more thinking. I knew that I had to put bats and on base as a priority. In fact, the or tournament run that year that led us to the championship game. What I did was I didn't have the even the fastest of guys. I was always a guy who loved to steal. I just put my two best guys getting on base and hitters one and two. They weren't the fastest guys, but they got on base. The third batter rarely struck out. And that I honestly believe, guys, that lineup got us to the championship because most of our runs were scored from those guys. And the, the ninth guy was, I always say, he's the best of the 6th, 7th, 8th, and ninth in terms of getting on base. And when he got on base, going into the next two who could hit, and the third guy who, not as great of a hitter, but always made contact, we are golden. But the one thing I emphasized that year, knowing that we're not going to put a lot of runs on the board, was defense. I scrapped any batting drills. Yes, that's right. I did. I had a season where I did no batting drills in practice. I didn't want to waste the time. I had to work on defense. I figured on their travel teams and with their personal batting instruction, they were getting a lot of batting in. I needed them to work together as a team defensively. They all needed to know what the other guy was going to do. Baseball defensively. Now think about it. Baseball is the only sport where the, the defense controls the ball. Right? Think about it. It is the only sport that the defense controls the ball. And a lot of baseball is depending upon another guy to be in the position he's supposed to be in. Like think about a cutoff. Ball hit into the gap. The outfielder has to depend on that middle infielder to be where he is supposed to be. And the middle infielder has to depend upon or trust that the guys on the bases are where they are supposed to be. And they're listening to the catcher and they're trusting the catcher is going to give them the right thing to do with the ball. Either you know, to cut it or throw it to what base. So we worked on that every practice. Every practice started after they warmed up with the outfielders hitting the ball to the infielders for 5 to 10 minutes. Just ground ball after ground ball after ground ball. Because that in middle school is the number one thing that's going to be hit at you is a ground ball. We all want to make those spectacular diving catches on a fly ball. That's rare. you got to do the little things right. Ground balls. Then the infield would do double play drills, bunt drills. Outfield would do certain drills themselves. Then we put it all together in a simulation where I put nine guys in the field, everybody else were base runners, told the base runners, listen, this is just as much practice for you of running the bases. You know, base running at that level can make or break a team. You know, baseball is a game of split seconds. If you can save time, you can make right quick decisions, you're going to score runs. And then I would just run through innings. I would make up a score. go, hey, you're down 2 nothing. you know, oh, it's tie game. And... Then we would have, you know, base hit. I make sure guy got on base. Okay, how many outs? One out. Okay, what are you going to do with the ball? And then we hit it. I wouldn't tell him where I was hitting it to. But that way, we would play like, quote unquote, seven defensive innings. Then I would switch things up. And that was our practice. Defense over and over again. And it led to my final season, final game coaching of a Morris County 
baseball championship. We won 5-2. to two. I remember in the last inning, they had a runner on. They got the first man on in the top of the seventh. And the next batter hits a soft line drive over the head of my second baseman. He turned his back and ran out towards the outfield, stretching himself out and making the catch. We didn't get the double off at first, but that was a key play in that inning. It gave us an out, only two more to go to a championship. They did get the next runner on base, but it, it killed an out. You know, what would have happened, the momentum swing that would have been, if they now had first and second no outs? My pitchers were very good, but they weren't overpowering. They were able to get the batters to hit ground balls, and my defense was ready for them. There was nobody in that field that I was afraid the ball was going to be hit to. I was confident, and they were confident in each other that each kid on that team knew what to do with the ball when it was hit. So if you're a youth coach, I know all your kids are going to want to be offensive stars. But if you can get in their minds the importance of defense and how it relates to the team concept, you're not just going to win games. You're going to win championships. Thank you for joining me on the Parent Teacher Conference podcast. If you enjoyed what you heard, please share this podcast with friends. They can be teachers, they can be parents, they can be someone who's just interested in education and parenting. If you have a comment, a question, or an idea for a future topic, please feel free to reach out to me at ptcpodcast411 at gmail.com. ptcpodcast411 at gmail.com. Remember, a good teacher cares deeply for their students, but good parents love those students, their children, deeply. <laughs>